Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. pitchers and catchers we got through some you know stragglers coming in and now we're to the full squad workouts we're seeing live action we're seeing you know matchups between Mitch Keller and and Brian Reynolds and just everything that we've been waiting for for all these winter months and even though it's still a bit cold up here in Pittsburgh I mean it's baseball time and when it's baseball time I got to go back to the well here and bring back one of my favorite guests, one of my favorite guys to talk to. Everybody knows him at Matt Caps 55, the Mad Capper, the Big Bull Rider, here to talk some baseball. Matt, how you doing today, brother? I'm doing well. <clears throat> doing very well. A little rundown. It's uh, late in the day. Just finished my second baseball practice and driving home. I'm actually pulling in the driveway right now. So we're going to do this from the front seat of my truck uh, in the driveway of the house. That's <laughs> that's what I said, Betty. Before we got on here, I'm like, you are a busy, busy man. And uh, coaching baseball, teaching baseball, setting up stuff, and just, you know, doing whatever you can down there. And, and we all know uh, people with kids, we, we know that, you know, the running never stops. So I uh, wanted to get your interpretation or, or maybe just some, a little bit of a feedback on a, on a big catchphrase that's been going on up here in Pittsburgh. And it's that, you know, they'll see a pitcher and he'll have a couple good pitches, you know, usually a good fastball, you know, another, you know, breaking ball, usually a slider or a curveball, and they'll be like, man, that guy, that guy profiles as a reliever. And I don't know if many people know this about you, Matt, but I looked it up, and it looks like in your first two years in the system, you had 30 starts uh, in those first two years. So, you know, relief wasn't always maybe the goal or it wasn't what was you, know, you thought was going to happen. So, my, how does that progression and how does that conversation go and that transition to the bullpen? And is there any credence to, oh, that guy profiles as a reliever? Yeah, I think so. I think it, it depends on the arsenal, probably first and foremost. You know, typically starters have uh, two what you would call plus pitches and then a third and, and hopefully a fourth pitch, some guys even a fifth pitch. Um 
you know, your relievers usually have one uh, plus pitch and then a, a secondary pitch and sometimes a third pitch. Um, you know, but very rarely do, do relievers have a fourth pitch that they can really command uh, that well. It, you know, some of it, <clears throat> like my situation, was just stamina. Um, I was typically pretty good for an inning to three. And then after that kind of ran out of gas and, you know, I had a, as a starter, I had a really good changeup. And then when they moved me to the, to the bullpen, um, well, I should back up as a starter, I had a fastball curveball changeup. And then when they moved me to the bullpen, you know, we kind of scrapped the changeup quite a bit and really tried to work on a slider, uh, developed a slider, uh, really that first year as a reliever in 05, the same year I got to the big leagues. And, it just became a better pitch for me. I, I don't know that it ever really became a quote unquote plus pitch for me in my career. Um, I threw enough changeups in a season to kind of keep the hitter honest. They saw me throw it, warm it up and things like that, where it kind of was in the back of their mind. Okay. He's got to change up, uh, you know, would throw it from time to time, but I got people out fastball and slider. And really the only reason I had a career in the big leagues is because I could command my fastball. Um, so those two things I think are, are the big players and deciding, uh, organizations or the powers that be, <clears throat> excuse me, deciding if a guy's a starter or reliever profiles as a reliever, um, pitch arsenal, what they have, what they can command and throw for strikes. Um, and then the stamina of the athlete, you know, this guy may have four pitches, three of them are plus pitches. Um, but you know, he can't get through, he can't get through the, um, third inning, you know, the first two innings are great third inning. He kind of runs out of gas. Okay. This guy's going to be a, a back end reliever and that's how he slots. Yeah. Cause the, the one guy that's, you know, on the tip of everybody's tongue, at, at least, you know, seeing what he could do at the end of last year is, is Luis Ortiz. You now has a lights out fastball, hundred miles per hour, wipeout slider, and he's developing a changeup, and that's where it was kind of in everybody's mind is, you know, what if he can't develop that changeup? But then I went back, and I I listened to a, a podcast that I did with a, a guy you might remember, and his name's Jeff Carstens. And he said to me, and I, I wrote this down, he goes, sometimes two pitches is enough for a starter if both of them are really good. So I kind of, you know, I know that's probably not the norm, but if that changeup never comes around and maybe it's just enough to keep, you know, batters off balance, would it be enough for that, you know, that that fastball and that slider to, to work as a starter? Yeah, I think so. And and Cars is awesome. One of the real students of the game. Uh, and I, I personally, I think he's spot on right there. Um, if you've got two plus pitches, it works, you know, same thing for a reliever <laughs> that Mariano Rivera guy was pretty darn good. Uh, what'd he throw? Yeah. He, did he ever throw anything other than that cut fastball? Yeah, he didn't not have to, to. Not so. <laughs> not to my recollection. I know he could change speeds with it a little bit, but you're not talking about the difference between a average fastball and a changeup. He just commanded it really well, went up, went down and out. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. If you've got two plus pitches and you can command it, that's the key. You got to be able to command um, 
the baseball and and command i look at, at control and command as two different things i i kind of think of a guy that has good control throws a lot of strikes and a guy that commands the ball is a little bit different commanding the ball is i can throw it wherever i want it to go in the zone out of the zone in the dirt um eye level you know it's not just throw a fill in the strike zone uh, with a bunch of strikes. That's more of a control in my mind. Command is throwing the ball where you want it to go. And if you can command both of those pitches, I absolutely think that's enough. Yeah, and, and you said something earlier about, you know, having the, the stamina to do it. Um, another pitcher, a guy that they had just transitioned last year from a starter to the bullpen, you know, went well for a little bit, but then kind of, you know, fell off and it, it could be, you know, everybody was talking about the number of innings he put in, but then, you know, Will Crow comes out this week and he basically said, I, I was out of shape. I put on 25 pounds. He goes, and my bigger belly got in the way of the mechanics. And, and I just wanted to ask you, Matt, about, you know, the difference in, you know, the preparations to start versus uh, the preparations to, to come out of the bullpen. Like, is it like a different routine? Is Did he just get in a different routine and, and maybe just put on the weight because he wasn't he wasn't used to that kind of setup? Yeah, I, I mean, there, there certainly is a routine that you get into as a reliever that's different as a starter. You know, as, as a reliever, you got to get into a routine that you're comfortable with, and it's every day, but it's not so much to where I can't be available to pitch that night. Um, you know, Will... I kind of felt for Will um, towards the back end of the season last year. I mean, you look at how he was used. uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but he led the team in appearances, right? Absolutely. Um, Led the team in innings out of the bullpen. Um, You know, he was, he was used a lot early and in different roles, you know? So I just mentioned getting into a routine. He didn't really have the opportunity to get into a routine, um, was used at the back end uh, quite a bit when uh, when Bednar was hurt and unavailable. Uh, was also used a couple of times in the early to mid part of the game. So it was like he had to be on mentally and, and physically prepared really from the first pitch on from the beginning of April through the end of September, early October when the season ended. That's a grind. That is a grind. Um, I know Back end guys, the routine I had, and I'll use that because that's what I I know. Obviously, um, you know, the mental side of it, I didn't turn it on until the sixth inning, seventh inning. I was watching the game, was paying attention, but I wasn't turned on mentally until later in the game. Uh, and then I kind of followed the game, followed the situation, everything around it. Okay there's a good chance I'm going to pitch tonight. And regardless if I was going to pitch or not, I did my physical routine every day and it was the middle of the seventh inning. Um, just things that I felt like I needed to do to get my body prepared to pitch. Uh, but the mental side of it to stay mentally turned on from the first pitch to the last pitch for 162 games, I think is impossible. Um, it doesn't mean you're not paying attention. It doesn't mean you're not cheering your teammates on. It's just the mental side of, of being up uh, is really hard and difficult and, and exhausting. Um, so I think we'll kind of struggle to find that routine. And, you know, he'll be certainly better prepared this year to, to handle that, the mental side of it. 
Um, the physical piece of it, I, I, I read and, and have seen everything that everybody else has read and seen. He's lost 25 pounds. He's in great shape. Um, we'll see. We'll see how that plays out. For me, everybody's body is a little bit different, um, you know, and they've got to find that weight and, and kind of where they're, they're comfortable at, especially pitchers. You don't see a whole lot of pitchers that pitch a long time at a high level that are, are shredded. Um, and look great in a bathing suit. I mean, it's just, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> there's something about carrying a little bit of weight, you know, uh, there's an old saying, I don't know if we're allowed to cuss on this thing, but mass kicks, you know what, um, <laughs> you know, having, having a little bit of mass to propel yourself down the hill is not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, you know, but that's something everybody has to find for themselves and kind of, um, understand who they are and how their body works and um you know time will tell on that so i i I hope he's in great shape i i hope he didn't lose all the weight um because you can use that you know you can use that as momentum uh carrying your body down the mound and you know it certainly helps i i lost 30 25 30 pounds one year and showed up to spring training and was topping out at 83 you know i was like well (laughs) this didn't work (laughs) Um, so, so sometimes best uh, shape of your life doesn't, uh, doesn't equate to uh, best performing shape of your life. It, it doesn't always translate on the mound. It's, it's funny, man. It's, um, I've seen a lot of guys that, you know, and like I said, it's a fine line. You go too far the other way and it, and it hurts you. And, you know, if, if Will felt that and, and recognized that, okay, I was a little too far out of shape. Uh, the other way and you know had a belly had the gut and it was interfering with what he mechanically has to do then yeah you got to lose some weight you got to get in a little better shape If you ever see me out and about in Pittsburgh, you will always recognize me. And not just because of the white beard, but also because of the why that is always on top of my head. The hat I always wear. The Yin's brand. Proud partners with Bucks in the Basement. Three dynasties. One brand. Yin's. Finally, one brand to rep all black and gold. Follow at Shop Yin's for new merch drops and giveaways. Order online at www.shopyins, the emphasis on the two Z's, high quality comfort, lightweight materials, a new modern look for the black and gold, made for Yins by a Yinzer. Let's stick with the uh, the battery for a little bit here. And uh, before we got on here, I just kind of mentioned to you, you know, there's there's guys that like this, you know, the personal catcher and, and the, the catchers that, you know, guys prefer. And I'm just kind of wondering, like, how that decision comes about. And, and what made me think of this was, I mean, I just read, I think it was like one line in, a, in an article, you know, over this past week that, you know, Kevin Pilecki, who was with Boston last year with Rich Hill, like, they pull up, you know, they know each other. They, they pulled up in there together. And, you know, maybe Pilecki has that inside track now. But I'm just also thinking, like, what is a pitcher looking for you know, from a catcher? Well, I think it, 
there's something to be said about being comfortable. You know, you kind of, when you're on the mound, you don't want to second guess anything. And that includes yourself. Um, you know, so being on the same page with a catcher, somebody that you have a track record with, somebody you're comfortable with, they know what they're kind of thinking along with you. Um, you know, sometimes a catcher puts a suggestion down and it's not what you were thinking, you know, and then those thoughts kind of creep into the back of your mind. Well, maybe he sees something I don't, or maybe, um, you know, I'm wanting to go curveball here and he's calling slider or he's calling fastball. Well, maybe my curveball doesn't have a bite on it today that I think it does. And he sees that. So it, you kind of start creeping into your thoughts and your mind and, and that's not a good thing. And it's, you know, it's no different than any other working relationship in any other facet of the world or any other career. Um, you know, when you're comfortable with your coworkers, you're probably going to have a little more productivity, right? Absolutely. Um, baseball players are human beings and, you know, when they're comfortable with their teammates and you kind of have that chemistry and, you know, that's not a popular word in today's game with, with all the numbers and saber metrics and everything, because you can't quantify chemistry. Um, but it matters, you know, it, it absolutely matters when, when you know what that guy's expecting out of you and what you're expecting out of him. And he knows what you're expecting out of him. You know, there's a flow to it. Um, and kind of a feel there's a comfort. Um, it's a nice feeling, you know, it's when you go out to do a job and you're uncomfortable, um, you're a little more timid, you know, maybe have some hesitation and, in something uh when you're comfortable you're free and easy your body works better it's stronger it's faster uh things just work better i don't know if i answered your question there or not kind of rambled no you you did i mean it was just basically looking for you know if if you have to like you know bury that slider you want to trust that you know the catcher is gonna he's making the right call but also that he can block it that you're not you know worried about something and like you said you're I think uh, back to uh, a pitcher that's no longer with us, but Stephen Brault, when he had one of his best games, he just basically said, whatever Stallings was throwing down is what I was pitching because I trusted him and just kind of got in that you know comfort level of the game. Yep, that groove, that's right. Yeah, so, and that's where, like, it's that, that, I don't know if it's like that indeterminate factor or the, the thing that you said you cannot quantify and – I mean, up here and down there and what's being written, um, a lot of this stuff is being talked about, the veteran presence in the clubhouse. We see pictures of, you know, Rich Hill just sitting there with Johan Oviedo and, and maybe showing him a different grip. I saw a picture of, you know, Austin Hedges sitting on, you know, the bucket of balls with uh, Andy Rodriguez and, and Henry Davis. And then, of course, you know, Cutch and and Brian Hayes just playing catch on that first day, and I was just thinking to myself. I mean, I feel like there is something there, but like, how much is there to that veteran presence in the clubhouse? Oh, there's absolutely value to it. You know, the guy's been there; he's done that. Um, you know, I don't want to say it's like a father son relationship. Learn from my mistakes, but that that's absolutely there. Um, you know, Rich Hill talking about how he spins his curveball or how he sets a hitter up. I mean, he's done it for a long time. Uh, so why would you not listen to him? Why why would you not think there's value to that? As long as he can go out and, you know, he's still on a spot, 26-man uh, roster, he's got to pull his end of the rope on the competitive side of it. But, um, you know, absolutely, just by his words, 
guys can can learn things from him. I mean, it's he's another coach in uniform. And that's that's a good thing to have, and we and the Pirates haven't had that. He might be he might be older than some of the coaches in uniform. <laughs> I think there was something out there. I, I'm I'm trying to think of how old he is, and how old Oscar Marine is, and and believe me, I I, I think it's close. <laughs> it probably is. Yeah, and and you mentioned a word in there that, that stuck with me, and it was it was advantage. And something that, you know, has kind of been going around baseball now is, and especially with, you know, some of the rules, and, and we'll get to that a little bit here. Um, everybody's talking that about that platoon advantage. Uh, you know, they're talking about, you know, this guy hits lefties real well. He hits, you know, righties even better. He's, he's better from the right side of the plate, better from the left side of the plate. There's, you know, all this different stuff out here. And and I know you've done this on the broadcast before, so I, I, I know I've, I've heard it, and people have also maybe have heard it again. But as a right-handed pitcher, how was your approach different, you know, to a left-handed hitter versus, like, a right-handed hitter? Uh, you know what? I don't know that my approach ever changed. Um, I was too hard-headed and kind of bullheaded to – to change a whole lot. I might've played a lot longer and been a lot better if I had not been that way. But yeah, I went to my strength really didn't matter who I was facing. Um, I went to my strength and that was fastball command. Uh, and until I remember Roberto Hernandez in 2006, uh, I had beaten somebody with my fastball and then I just went to the curveball just because I had thrown the guy a couple of fastballs in a row. And, um, I went to my slider, excuse me. Um, and I threw a slider in the zone and it was hammered. I don't remember if it was hammered for a double homer, um, whatever. And I got into the clubhouse after the game and Berto comes up to me and is just chewing me out. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, what do you mean? What am I doing? He goes, you beat him with your fastball. And I said, no, he fouled it straight back. He was on it. And he goes, that doesn't mean he was on it. Unless a guy pulls your fastball foul, he's not on it. If he fouls it straight back, you know, you're kind of jamming him a little bit. He's not able to get the barrel to it. You beat him. I said, yeah, but I threw him like three or four in a row. And he goes, doesn't matter. Make him beat your best stuff in that situation. And I, I kind of carried that with me the rest of my career. Um, lived and died with it. You know, died a fair amount of times with it. Um, but for me, it didn't matter really if a guy was a lefty or a righty. I was, oddly enough, I was more comfortable facing a lefty. I think my stuff kind of complimented me facing a lefty a little better. I could sink the ball. I could throw the ball in on him. Uh, I struggled commanding my, my fastball in on a righty, uh, which makes no sense because with a lefty, I could throw a fastball away with my eyes closed. But you get a righty <laughs> in there and, you know, it kind of felt like threading a needle. They're leaning over the plate. Try to do too much, typically fly open. You know, things, things that I talk about on the teaching side of it now, like, hey, you're just getting rotational and that ball is going to sail. I did that stuff. Um, you know, the, these are things going back to Rich Hill. These are things that Rich Hill's probably talking to guys about now. Um, you know, you really got to stay closed and get full extension when you're trying to go arm side in. Um, but for me, it, it my approach didn't really change whether it was a lefty or a righty. My my approach only really changed uh, depending on the situation. Runners on base, how many runs we were up, especially as I was closing. Um, you know, is it 
is it a one-run situation? Is it a three-run situation? If it's a three-run situation, I don't care who's at the plate. You got to hit three solo homers, or you got to push three guys across the plate. Um, I'm coming after you. I fall behind 102. Oh, you're probably getting a fastball right down the middle. Um, <laughs> one, one run situation is a little bit different. I'm gonna be a little more careful. Uh, you know, try to be a little more fine with it. But I, I never really had the mindset of if it's a three run situation, I got to get out of this without any runs. I, I don't know. I guess my personal numbers didn't matter that much to me. It was, am I going to preserve the win or not? That's the only thing I really judged my appearance on. One battle at a time. Yeah, try. Yeah. And I, before we got on here, we, we were talking about something that, that you dealt with in the minors. Um, you can kind of speak to a little bit because the question I was going to ask you was, you know, the toughest role the pitchers are going to have to, you know, kind of deal with this year there's the pitch clock. Uh, there's the quote-unquote disengagement slash throwovers that would, you know, ultimately possibly result in a balk. And then the shift, uh, you know, it's maybe not as much as it was when the shift first came out. You're not hearing about it as much. But, you know, pitchers have kind of been pitching into those shifts, you know, for so long you know, which which of those rules, and, and you can also speak to the rule that, you know, you had to deal with. Which one of those do you think is going to be the toughest? Uh, I think it's going to be the disengagement, and it's not even close for me. I pitched with the pitch clock uh, in 2016, my last year playing. Um, <clears throat> it came into play one time, and that was the very first pitch I threw that season. I had never dealt with it. Um did my warm-ups. I was, was coming back from an injury um, and was really just kind of taking it in, taking my time, and all of a sudden I come set, and then the umpire throws his hands up and says that's a ball, and I was confused as all get out. <laughs> the heck is going on? Uh, and then it then it kind of hit me. It's like, oh, yeah, pitch clock, okay. All right, and then after that, it didn't come into play ever again. Um, I think it's plenty of time. Uh, it, the disengagement thing, I think, is going to take some time to to get used to, um, not only for the pitchers, but for the managers and the staff as well. Um, you know, it wasn't uncommon at all for a pitcher to be given the pick call from the dugout, and that was used as a tactic to give somebody a little extra time in the bullpen to warm up. Uh, I don't know that that's something that they can they can do a whole lot anymore because you only get so many, um, you know. So I I think it's going to affect the managers and kind of the strategy of the overall game probably more than it will the pitchers. The pitchers' focus when they're pitching is ninety nine percent of it's on the hitter. Uh, you have to pay the the base runner some attention, but if you're quick to the plate. You know, I don't have to give him a whole lot of attention. I can come set, make sure he doesn't have a ridiculous lead, and then as long as my my time to home plate is is reasonable, um, you know, I'm only picking if I think he's off balance or if I want to see something, see if the hitter is possibly tipping something, or they dive in, or they pull into bond or something like that. Yeah, and I anything with the shift, like the the thoughts on that at all. Uh, no, I, I personally don't really care for the shift. Um, I think it's going to bring back some strategy for how we're trying to pitch guys. Um, 
you know, you, you see the shift a lot more against left-handed hitters, especially left-handed power guys. Um, I think it's going to be become more of an emphasis, um, you know, to challenge guys in, uh, challenge them in, you know, get them out of way, sink the ball away from them, force weak contact. Um, you know, the last couple of years, you could face the big dog, big left-handed hitter in the lineup and let them absolutely hammer a ball. But as long as they don't elevate it, you're going to get them out. You know, I, I kind of, I'm okay. If a, if a hitter hits a ball 112 miles an hour, he deserves a hit. <laughs> you know, so if he hammers the ball and it, it sneaks through the infield, hey, you know what? You got me. There you go. So I'm all right. I, I, I don't think the shift is, is going to affect the pitching side of the game really all that much. Well, that's, that's some real good insight, Matt, and, and, and always appreciate when you uh... – when you take the time to jump on here, and, and I know that everybody that's going to be listening to this tomorrow is going to appreciate that as well. But uh, if you wanted to let everybody know, when when, uh, when are they going to be able to hear you across the broadcast down in Bradenton? I'm coming down to spring training March 19th. I've got March 19th to the 25th, I believe. Uh, and then I don't work until the end of April uh, in the regular season. So I don't know those dates off the top of my head, but I got more games this year. I'm in the booth 48 games this year, so I'm excited about that. Uh, I worked about 30, I think 32 games last year, so get uh, get the opportunity to work a little bit more. And um, you know, always excited to sit next to Joe and Greg. They're two absolute pros, and they do a great job of making me. Uh, I don't know that anybody can make me look good, but they make me sound good. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. And, you know, we can't wait uh, for you to get on there because we know that baseball has started at that point in time. But once again, Matt, thanks for jumping on. Those of you that don't, go follow Matt at MattCaps55. That's double T, double P, double fives, Matt. Thanks for jumping back on, brother. Can't wait to do this again. You got it. My pleasure. As always, thanks for having me. I see the changes in this town They change, they say